Welcome to episode 18 of Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. Today we're going to take a look at Naples, which has sort of a bad rap in the eyes of many non-Neapolitans. We think of it as being a center of crime, filth, poverty, slums, not a place really worth visiting. And yet, Naples has a long and very distinguished history, including quite some centuries when it was the second biggest city in Europe and by, by far the biggest city in the territory that is today called Italy. And I know that it's dangerous to make assumptions, but for purposes of this episode, I'm going to assume that you've listened to episodes 16 and 17 about the history of Sicily, which was closely interlinked with the history of Naples. In fact, eventually, there was something called the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, referring on the one hand to the island of Sicily that we talked about in the last two episodes, but on the other hand, to the whole southern part of the Italian peninsula, which was also referred to as Sicily. So it gets very confusing because at times these were one country ruled by Naples, at other times they were one country ruled from Palermo, and at other times they were in fact separate countries. I'm going to be a little bit lighter on general history today than I usually am, but that's based on the assumption perhaps unwarranted, that you've listened to episodes 16 and 17 already and know the basics of at least part of the Kingdom of Sicily. So at one point or another in its more than 3,000-year-old history, Naples has been part of all the great empires in Europe, uh, with the possible exception of the Ottoman Empire. And because of that, it has a wealth beyond description of art historic buildings, monuments, and culture. If you're an art lover, you could spend a week in Naples and barely scratch the surface. So Naples has been inhabited since the Stone Age, and the earliest Greek settlements there go back to earlier than 1000 BCE. You'll remember that I described Sicily as being part of Magna Grecia, Greater Greece, and that Sicily in both senses, the island of Sicily as we know it today, and the entirety of of southern Italy, which was also referred to as Sicily at many points in its history. Modern Naples was originally founded as a settlement called Parthenope, named after one of the Greek sirens. And this settlement took place right at the turn of the 9th century BCE, to the 8th century BCE. After the Sicilian Greeks from Syracuse, which you may recall was once the largest Greek-speaking city in the world, there was a battle in 474 BCE where the Greeks from Syracuse helped the Greeks in what became Naples to defeat the Etruscans and to create a new city, which was called in Greek... Neapolis, new city, literally, and the old city was referred to as Paleopolis, the old city. They're adjacent, they're both part of central Naples now, but they reveal, including in their names, like our adjective Neapolitan for certain types of ice cream, music, whatever, comes from the Greek name for the city, Neapolis. Neapolis eventually became one of the greatest 
cities in Magna Grecia, and it retained its Greek culture and language long after it was conquered by the Romans. In 326 BCE, the Romans actually conquered Neapolis, and yet they left it with wide autonomy and allowed its customs, its language, and all the traditions of its Greek origin to survive, preferring rather to make a sort of a like solidarity pact and paying particular attention to the already strong and important maritime role that Naples would play as a port and as a bay. In the year 50 BCE, during the civil war with Julius Caesar, Neapolis chose to support Pompey, who lost. And this was sort of the final one of a series of very bad decisions that caused the city to decline economically and militarily. Under Augustus Caesar, the city began to recover a bit and became a flourishing center of Greek culture that attracted Romans who wanted to perfect their knowledge of, of Greek culture, language, etc., etc. There were even Neapolitan Olympic Games started by Augustus Caesar in the year two of the Common Era, and this became one of the most important annual events in the West. Actually, I take that back. They were held every five years, not annually, and they attracted contestants from all over the Roman Empire. The emperor himself attended in the year 14. But the fortunes of the city of Naples were like a continuous seesaw. Major earthquakes in the year 62 and again in the year 64 of the Common Era and the eruption of Vesuvius in the year 79 destroyed many of the towns near Naples and damaged the city's commercial and political role. Nonetheless, two of the early Christian preachers, Peter and Paul, came to Naples to preach, and many Christians had a prominent role in the later years of the Roman Empire. As Rome declined, Naples was eventually occupied by the Goths and suffered a lot at the hands of the occupiers. So it somehow, eventually, when the Byzantine Empire attacked the Goths, the Neapolitans switched sides, and although it was conquered by the Byzantine Empire, the Byzantines were also welcome, and Naples remained loyal to the Eastern Roman Empire for quite some time. In the period which we in the West refer to as the Dark Ages, sort of the 6th, 7th, 8th centuries, Naples had a population of only about 30,000 people. It rebelled against the Byzantine capital in Ravenna, and in response, the first form of a duchy of Naples was created in 638. By the year 763, the Duke of Naples switched his allegiance from Constantinople to the Pope, and in 840, the Duke made succession to the duchy hereditary, and therefore, Naples became de facto completely independent. Now, I want to jump ahead a bit, because... For the next part of history, the story of Naples is very similar to the story of Sicily. The Muslims and their big expansion in the 9th, 10th, 11th centuries um, actually conquered Naples. And the Sicilian aristocrats paid Norman mercenaries to help them 
get rid of their Arab overlords. So finally, one of the last rulers of an independent southern Italian state, Sergius VII, surrendered to Roger II of Sicily in 1137. When Roger had himself proclaimed king of Sicily, even seven years before that, in 1130. So to resume what we've said so far, basically, Naples started off as a Greek settlement, was Greek for many, many centuries, became eventually a Roman city, then a Gothic city, then a Byzantine city, then an Arab city, and finally a Norman city. By the end of the 12th century, the Normans were done, and Naples, like the rest of Sicily, became German. Frederick II of the Hohenstaufen dynasty founded a university there in 1224 and considered Naples to be his intellectual capital, while Palermo was his political capital. And, of course, after the Sicilian Vespers in 1284, the kingdom was split into two parts, with an Aragonese, or Spanish, king ruling the island of Sicily, and an Angevin, or French king, ruling the mainland portion. And while both kingdoms officially called themselves the Kingdom of Sicily, the mainland portion was commonly referred to as the Kingdom of Naples. And whether because of, or in spite of, the division of the kingdom into two portions somehow resulted in greater prosperity and a new intellectual vitality. Naples continued to grow in importance financially, militarily, politically. Merchants and traders from both Pisa and Genoa were joined by Tuscan bankers, and with them came outstanding artists of the early Renaissance, such as Boccaccio, Petrarch, and Giotto. There was still a lot of seesawing back and forth between French rule, Spanish rule, independence, etc., etc., during the 15th century. And by the beginning of the 16th, the two kingdoms were united under Aragonese, Spanish rule, in 1501. But that didn't last very long. When Queen Isabella died in 1504, Ferdinand expelled the Castilians from leadership in Aragonese possessions in Italy, including Naples. This began nearly two centuries of the rule of the nearly omnipotent viceroys in Naples under whose authority the population grew from 100,000 to 300,000 inhabitants. And at this point in the history of Naples, it was second only to Istanbul in all of Europe. At the time of the French Revolution, a lot of Neapolitans took inspiration from what was going on in France, and they declared, unfortunately, a very short-lived Neapolitan Republic. The mass of people did not accept this idea, and by the very end of the 18th century, 1799 to be exact, the Republicans surrendered. Admiral Horatio Nelson arrested the leaders of the revolution and handed them over to an execution squad. The Republic of Naples was suppressed by both the British and the Russians and followed in 1805 by a full invasion led by Napoleon Bonaparte who conquered the kingdom of Naples. He initially named his brother to be king and then his brother-in-law and a military hero in 18. was given the Spanish crown. And yet its population increased from just under half a million in 1860 to a million and a half just over a century later. One of the most famous 
folk sayings associated with Naples is translated directly from the Italian, and it says, see Naples and die. What does that mean? That Naples is so dangerous that if you go and visit it, you'll be stabbed in the streets? No, not at all. I've been there many times, never experienced the least hint or whisper of any kind of street violence. What it means is that Naples is an absolutely gorgeous city for many reasons. It's situated on very steep hills. It overlooks an incredible bay that include famous islands like Capri and and Ischia. At the other end of the bay is the famous town of Sorrento. And you can see always looming in the distance Mount Vesuvius, which is a spectacular sight. Another reason for the saying, see Naples and die, is the incredible collection of castles, palaces, military forts, art museums, history museums, archaeology museums, etc. There's no city in the world with such a great concentration of museums in such a small space. One of the coolest is actually a church underneath which is exposed a large section of the Roman city of Naples. And then if you go down another flight of stairs, underneath the Roman city is the old Greek city of Neapolis. So it's like descending through a tell, um, an archaeological tell in the Middle East, which is above ground. But this, you just walk in through a church door and you ignore the church and go down the stairs and you see a full Roman city and a full Greek city, which is pretty amazing. So given all the special things about Naples and how rich it was culturally and intellectually, we might expect its Jewish history to be more distinguished than it actually is. It's sad to say, there are no real records of Jews in Naples before the first century BCE under the Romans. By 536, the Jewish community was large enough and economically prosperous enough to fight with the then resident Goths, who were the rulers, against the Byzantines, who were the invaders. They lost, of course, and unfortunately, when Jews fight on the wrong side of a battle, they often suffer for years afterwards. But every time that the Jews of Naples suffered a major blow, were expelled, were victims of the Inquisition, whatever happened, they always came back. Like uh, those flowers that die, and then a year or two later, they magically reappear. In 1159, when Benjamin of Tudela, a great medieval Jewish traveler from Spain, visited the city of Naples, he noted that there were 500 Jewish families in the city. And let's assume that the average family had five people. That means 2,500 Jews. In 1288, Dominican priests spread an anti-Jewish libel and the kingdom of Naples issued an expulsion order for the Jews, and any Jews left five years later in 1293 were forced to convert. But they either returned or, in some cases, came out of their less-than-sincere conversions. And in 1473, the first Jewish press was established in Naples. In 1492, many of the Jews who were expelled from Spain came to Naples where King Ferdinand protected them. However, in 1495, just a few years later, the French conquered the kingdom and persecuted the Jews there. The Napoleonic laws were not yet in effect. In 1510, Spain won control of the city and expelled the Jews, but those who paid 300 ducats were permitted to stay. In 1535, the price was raised, forcing many Jews to leave, and by 1541, 
all the Jews of Naples were gone. They were permitted to return in 1735, and a small group of Jews settled in 1831 in the Maltese Cross Hotel, where one of the rooms served as a synagogue, kind of makeshift. A decade later, the Rothschild family, the big European Jewish banking family that has its origins in Germany, set up an office in Naples, acquired the Villa Pignatelli, which was a huge mansion near the center of town. And that mansion served as the Jewish community center and as a synagogue. Uh, the Jewish community later rented space in the Villa Via Capella Vecchia, the street of the old chapel, which became the official community center. So the Rothschild's Naples office closed, and in 1867, the Villa Pignatelli was sold. By the 1920s, Naples' Jewish community had around a 1,000 members. And during the Holocaust, some Jews of Naples were saved by being hidden by villagers in the surrounding areas. Other Jews were sent off to extermination camps from Naples, and others were killed elsewhere. After World War II, the Jewish community of Naples was made up of only a handful that had survived, and today the city's Jewish population numbers about 200. Now, one last note that is generally true in many places in Western Europe in particular is that following a French tradition, members of religious communities were required to register with those communities, pay taxes to those communities, and in some cases, subject themselves to the courts of those communities, particularly in cases involving either the application of Jewish law or actions between two Jewish plaintiffs. So this means that the word community is used all over Jewish Europe in two different senses. One is the Jewish community as we use it here in the United States or elsewhere to refer to all the Jews residing in a city or a metropolitan area or whatever. But the other is a legal organization that collects taxes, provides education, provides legal services, etc., etc., and that until certainly well into the 19th century, Jews were required to register with and be counted. So it's in this sense that the Jewish community of Naples, meaning the organized community with a capital C, controls all Jewish life in southern Italy and all of what was once mainland Sicily, and also, as of very recently, in the island of Sicily as well. And it's a branch office opened by the Naples Jewish community in Palermo, which is fueling the incredible rebirth and growth or regrowth of the Jewish community in Sicily. I hope you enjoyed this session and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.